This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter. All right, we are in week two of a series that we have called Faith of a Finisher. And a little bit what we're doing in this series is that we are looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul had a very interesting journey uh, that he was one of the great opposers of the church, came against the church and its leaders, and uh, was sort of party to murder of one of the early church leaders, but then got God got his attention on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and he had this tremendous conversion experience, so much so that he moved from being an opposer of the church to going around and planting churches, you know, many, many churches in the Mediterranean region, and we see that in the book of Acts, that he would go on these journeys, these missionary journeys, and he would plant churches. But we have um, some verses that talk about Paul at the end of his life and some of the things that he said, and many times that we see in the New Testament, our, our journey of faith um, compared to a race. And like I said last week, we all know that, and we all have heard sermons along these lines where the race that we are running in life is not the hundred meters. It's not, it's not a dash and it's over really quick. It's actually uh, more akin to a marathon, sort of the journey of life, or we could say it's a relay race for those of us in the church that we have received the baton from the previous generation to the church and we want to pass the baton to the next generation of the church and those are all good ideas. But what I've suggested last week is that the life um, that we are running, the race that we are running is more like the steeplechase. Now if you've ever seen the steeplechase, the steeplechase there's hurdles uh, on the steeplechase, and then in over one of the hurdles, there's actually a pool of water that you jump in. And back in the day, it used to be a pool of mud before there was a nice track. And they would fall in this pit of mud, and they would have to climb out of the mud. And the life is like this sometimes. And like I said, you know, God is not placing these hurdles in our way, and God is not placing a pit of mud in our way. But because we live in a broken world, and because there is sin in the world, that we are facing these difficulties, and because there's an enemy in the world, that we are facing these difficulties. But God is not ever trying to trip us up. God's never trying to hurt us or damage us, that he's the one who is always helping us over the hurdles. He is always the one who's lifting us out of the pit. So as we look at this race of life, what we want to do is we want to finish well. Now, not just the totality of our lives, not just birth and death, and not just right before we die that we want to finish well, But we are going to go through seasons in life. Um, As I mentioned last week, you know, you're going to go through, you know, a season of childhood. And then before you get married, if you want to get married, you're going to go through a season of singleness. And then, um, you know, when you're going to get married, uh, till death do us part, we're going to be in that season of marriage. And, and And we want to remain in the season. And the seasons that we're in, we want to do well. And if you have children, you want to do that season of parenting well. And, and in life, there's a beginning, a specific beginning of certain seasons, and then there's the actual race, and there is the finish line. And how many know sometimes in the middle of a race, we might feel like we want to quit, or there's a lot of hurdles, like I said, or there's a pit that we fall in. I remember, you know, I wasn't uh, much into track and field when I was younger. Part of the reason was that my sister, who was about three years older than me, was a track star, 
She, at one point, I, I believe she actually had a record in Peel for the 200 meters. And, you know, so she was a few years ahead of me, so any time I got into that grade, they'd be like, oh, are you going to be like Sherry? And I'd be like, no, she's a girl. I'm not running track. I'll do other things. I'm going to play other sports. I'm going to play a lot of other sports, but I stayed away from track, partly because she was so good at it. She had really long legs, really young, and I didn't grow till I was about 16. And so, you know, I was in grade nine. I was the shortest boy in my class. And at the end of high school, I'd grown a foot, so it worked out, and I was taller than my sister. Awesomeness. <laughs> but in, a, in grade six, one time, our, one of our um, teachers, you know, had this great idea that we were going to go run track, and he didn't give us an option. And so he, we didn't have a track outside of our school, but he sort of marked out 400 meters and that we were going to go run this 400-meter race. Now, he was very nonchalant about our training, and so we would just kind of jog around. You know what I mean? When you're in grade six and you're not in on track, you just kind of jog around. You're not, there's no intensity, and I wasn't going to be intense because I wasn't going to be like my sister anyway. So I wasn't really into this track situation. And then so we actually went to the track meet, and I was fully unprepared for the race I was about to run. And with about 150 meters left, I was in 10th of 10 people, friends. And if you know anything about me, I'm not interested in 10th place. And so I just had a little bit left in the tank, and I was able to make it to 8th. And that was the end of my track career right there in grade 6. But it, at that time, when I was 10th with 150 meters to go, what does it feel like? It feels like you want to quit feels like this, this might be really too hard. I'm not sure that I can get to the finish line. And God wants us to get to the finish line. And he wants us to get to the finish line in the season of life that we are in right now. And he actually wants us to get there well. And we see here the Apostle Paul writes about this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 says, But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Timothy is a young pastor. Discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am ready to be poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. So Paul here at the end of his life in one of the last letters that he wrote, he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And this should be our desire regardless of the season that we are in and how long it might be or, or it's longer than we expected it to be that this should be our goal, this should be our desired testimony that I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So we, when we think about life, we're thinking about it, it, there's a fight of life and there's a race, but we want to get to the finish line. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And here's the advice. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, the, the race that we are running as an individual in the season that we are in, we're not trying to beat other people, but what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to reach our maximum potential in this season that we are in. We're not trying to beat others, even though I like to win stuff. But we should want to run in such a way where we get the prize, where we hit the finish line. Everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. 
They do it to get a crown that will not last, talking about physical races. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, we know that this would mean eternity with Christ. But then it could also mean something more than just a race that we would run, just a physical race, that how we run our race, the season that we are in, can actually impact other people. We talked about this last week. And it is actually one of our goals in the season that we are in, and this was the main point last week. If you missed last week, you can catch up, you can listen on our website and through our podcast and through the church app, that God wants to bless you in the season that you are in right now, but then he also wants to make you a blessing. This is the goal of the season that we are in. God wants to make you a blessing, something that will affect eternity. Verse 26, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So the season of life that I'm in, I don't want to be disqualified, and this should be all of our desires. We want to get to the finish line. So last week, we emphasized this idea of, of, of being a starter. For you to get to the finish line, you have to start. You have to get your feet in the blocks, and you have to start. You can't be, as we said last week, you can't be lazy. You, you can't just look out at life and say, well, this is too hard, so I won't do anything. Or the other extreme of that would be you do too many things. You've got too many things going on in this season of life, and you can't accomplish any of them well. But we need to be a starter so that we can be a finisher. So once again, if you missed that message, you can catch up online. <clears throat> so the question is, when we start the race, this is what we're talking about today, where are we going? Where am I going when I start the race? Because in a sense, we need to know where the finish line is or what the goal is or what am I trying to achieve in this season of life, so that you can know when you get there. In your relationships and in your career and in your education, where is the desired goal? Where is the intentionality of our living? Because we don't want to do, like Paul said, we don't want to run aimlessly. We just don't want to you know, run a zigzag pattern and never get to the finish line. Or we don't want to be a boxer who's not actually making contact with the opponent just sort of beating the air, wasting all of our effort, but actually living with intentionality. And this is uh, uh, so important for us as we start the race that we are in, and we need to know where I'm going. What is my desired endpoint? What is the purposes of God for me in this season? And we talked about that a little bit last week, that God has placed some responsibilities in your hand in this season that you're in. Because every, every person's life is going somewhere, but not everybody's life is going somewhere on purpose. We could just be going somewhere, not, not considering where is the finish line. What am I doing? What am I doing in this season of life? Am I just doing the thing that culture offers to me? 
with no desired endpoint, with no understanding of what God has placed in my hand, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I thinking about? Am I just sort of existing? Or am I actually living with intention that God wants us to live with intention? Now, sometimes when we start the race, once again, the, the, the beginning, the, the feet in the starting blocks, and the endpoint destination, the finish line, we break through the tape. Very specific things. But sometimes the middle, you kind of feel like you're in no man's land. You start something, and then when you get on the journey, you're like, I'm not sure how far, how close am I to the finish line? And then maybe you don't see any results for a little while after you started the race. Has anyone ever changed any eating habits? <laughs> you should at some point. <laughs> Consider it. And then what do we do? We're like, okay, today is a new day. I'm going to eat a salad <laughs> instead of a burger. And then you get on the scale at night and you're like, nothing has changed. <laughs> There's nothing happening on my journey. And sometimes we don't know where we are on the journey. But we need to stay on the journey that God has for us. See, once again, we look, sometimes we look, whatever our, our ways of measuring where we are on the journey, we're kind of like, I'm, am I a quarter of the way? Am I halfway there? Am I three? I don't know where I'm at on the journey. We don't see results. And this, is, this causes people to quit, to give up, to stop, not reach the finish line. But we want to live with intention. So we've got to ask ourselves some questions. We've got to ask ourselves some questions about the purposes of God for my life. I, I want to know, I, I desire to know the purposes of God in my life. And sometimes these things might seem really difficult to, to get a hold of. How, how can I know the purposes of God for me right now? In other words, the will of God. What is the will of God for me right now? You know, and, and I think sometimes these are, these might be a little bit easier than, than we make it out to be. And then sometimes preachers don't help us. I would say, in my humble opinion, um, you know, sometimes when we're preaching, I'll just include myself in the mix. Preachers will, th will say things like, the Lord said to me this. And they're like, people are like, what does that mean? Like, did you actually hear something with your physical ears? I, I don't, I don't, it's not that easy for me. I know you're saying it and there you are, a preacher and you're famous and I guess God is speaking to you and I guess you're in a special category. But I want to know what the will of God is for me. I want to know the purposes of God for me. And one of the things that, that I would say is that we, we should do the known will of God. In other words, the thing from the scripture. That we get ourselves in the habit of doing the purposes of God that we know from the scripture. As it relates to the season that I'm in right now. Like I said, relationships. There is a ton in the scripture about how to act in relationships, how to act in marriage, how to act in the context of with your parents and, and with your children. Let's do those things. Are you out there this morning? Get ourselves in the habit of doing the known will of God. So we, we would never ask ourselves this question. Um, 
Should I hate my neighbor? You know, they've taken all their leaves and they've raked all their leaves onto my yard. I kind of feel like I want to hate them. God, should I hate my neighbor? Well, you're not speaking to me, so I don't know. I just might just go ahead and hate my neighbor because it's not like the preacher on the TV who's God answered me. No, we know from the word of God that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. So even though I might not like them sometimes, that I'm going to choose to love them. I'm going to choose to do the will of God. This is a simple first step to the will of God. Should I get a job or should I continue to mooch off my parents? Lord, what should I do? God, I'm just not sure. The will of God for my life at this moment, mom is still cooking for me. I won't say anything about an age because, like, you know, millennials are later, later starters now, so we can't offend anybody. But I would say, I don't mind offending people, I would say, if you have a degree, you should have a good job. Should I work hard at my job or should I do the absolute minimum? Should I just do enough to get by? You know, nobody really knows. The boss is not really watching me. No, the scripture tells us that we should work as unto the Lord. See, we have all of these things in the scriptures and it gets us in the habit of doing the known will of God. And we get in the habit of doing the known will of God. The unknown will of God is easier to apprehend because we're walking out something. Do you see this? We're walking out the things we already know because there isn't things in the scripture like uh, some specific answers. Should I change jobs? There's no verse that you can turn to that has your name that will answer that question. Which car should I pick? You know, and, and these are questions that I would say, don't ask me these questions. You know, sometimes people come to me and they think, you know, because I'm a pastor, I'm going to have all of the answers for all of their things. And, you know, they come to me and they're like, you know, Pastor Brown, I'm not sure I should take this job. And I'm like, it, it, here's, here's the simple way I would do it. Which one pays more? <laughs> now, now, wait, wait. But that's not always a good answer. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? But that's all the information I have unless God gives me some big revelation about your life. But here's the thing. He actually doesn't need to because you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. And our expectation and what we would try to teach you is that you can actually depend on God for yourself. Should I change jobs? I don't know. We're going to have to get ourselves in the rhythm of doing the will of God. Uh, where should I go to university? Should I buy organic? <laughs> These are the tough choices of life. 
<coughs> so what are the purposes of God for a thing? Part of it, some of it, the design will dictate the purposes, right? The design of a thing will dictate the purposes of a thing. And, and God has designed you a certain way and has placed something in your hands like we talked about last week. And so that design and the timing dictate some of the things that you should do on your journey. And we don't necessarily have to be praying, about, and I'm not saying you shouldn't pray, but you shouldn't pray about the things you already know that you need to do. You should do those things. You should continue doing those good things on your journey. First thing we need to do is that we need to believe that we have a purpose. God has designed you for the season you are in right now. You are not a mistake, and it's not a mistake. You were born like this young couple for such a time as this. And you have purposes of God for your life right now. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says this, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand, and that should be our desire. So we can dream up stuff, and we could just do the things that culture offers us, but it is the purposes of God that will stand. It is the purposes of God for my life, something that's eternal in the mind of God is the thing that's going to last. Psalm 138, verse 8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Yeah, you started right now on the season that you're in. God hasn't left you. He's going to fulfill his purpose for you in this season that you are in right now. For some of us, the finish line of a, of a season that we might describe might be, it might end next week. For some of you, this, the season that you just started, like I said, in marriage, the, the season is the end of your life. God will fulfill his purposes in me. He's doing something in me. And so my expectation is that he's leading me. My expectation, because I have this desire, my expectation, like we talked about, the Spirit of God, he never leaves us or forsakes us. The will of God for you is not somewhere else. It's on the inside of you. Where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. Now, I'm going to give you, a, I'm usually not a fan of alliteration in messages, but here we go. That you are created for a purpose and on purpose, and so you have to get on the path of purpose. There's a whole bunch of P's in there. Like I said, I don't usually like that when preachers do that, but I couldn't get away from it this morning. You're created on purpose for a purpose, so you have to get on the path of purpose. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, 
all your ways on the race that you're running, he will make straight your paths. So what am I doing? I'm I'm acknowledging him. I'm yielding my heart to him, not just yielding to what culture dictates. I'm going to yield my heart to him, and he is going to make my path straight. I'm acknowledging him. Every day I get up, God, I want to do your will today. I thank you that you are leading me and guiding me today. I know your spirit is on the inside of me. So our expectation is God is with me, and he's actually helping me to make the decisions that I'm making every day, all the time. Psalm 23, verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's leading me on the path of purpose. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Now, this is, will help us here. So we're feet are in the blocks. We start the race. Talking here about the path. And then what does it say? It's going to get brighter and brighter. I'm going to take a step. And I'm going to do the thing I know to do on the path of righteousness. And it gets brighter and brighter. Now, depending on your personality, you might say, you know, God, could you shine a spotlight on the finish line, please? Just show me the finish line. And he's like, no, I'm making your path brighter and br- Oh, I take this step. Oh, I see this next step. Oh, I take the, oh, this, now I see the next step to take. It gets brighter and brighter when we're on the path of righteousness. God is leading us. Like I said many times, God is leading us by steps, not leaps and bounds. The steps that we would take, it's getting brighter and brighter on the path of righteousness. On the path of doing the known will of God. And then the unknown will of God is just the thing that we walk in. It's just the thing that we are moving towards. You have to move. You have to start. You have to move. Well, I'm just waiting for the will of God. I'm just going to wait now, don't get me wrong, there's, it makes sense to, in prayer, wait for, wait, waiting on God, being intertwined with the will of God. That's not what I'm saying. But the point is, our lives have to be moving. God has a purpose on the path for us. The way of the wicked is like deep waters. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them. And healing to all their flesh. Now listen. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. See, the condition of your heart is so important on the journey. Why? Because from it flows the springs of life. In other words, the things that you're going to be doing in life. And if our heart is damaged... And if we've got hurt on the journey, and then we just kind of stop. Something happened that we didn't want on the journey, because I will just let you know this is what life is like. You 
are going to start, and you're going to get to the finish line, praise God, but every part of that race is not going to be easy. Jesus told us, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God is not causing the detours on the race, but you are going to face some detours on the race. So that's why we got to keep our heart. We can't, we can't let our heart get angry or bitter or unforgiving or frustrated because then we can, get, we can create our own detours on the race that we are running. And that's, how many know that that's more frustrating than what somebody else might do to you? Creating your own detours. Has anyone ever done that? You all have. We all have. Put away from you crooked speech and devious talk from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. Forward where? Forward to the finish line. To the purposeful place I'm going in God. And your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. What is the path that I'm on? Where is it taking me? Is there purpose in it? Am I living intentionally? Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8, those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And, and this, these verses here that I'm about to read to you, I would say that these are some of the best verses to help us to know how the Spirit of God is leading us, all right? Luke chapter 1, verse 1 says, Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that had been accomplished among us. So Luke, the doctor, is writing this letter, and he's, and he's saying, I'm going to tell you a story about Jesus. We call this the gospel of Luke, but he's telling us the origins of why he wrote it down. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. In other words, Luke is saying, I, I wasn't there. I didn't see this. But I'm, what I'm about to write to you is from the eyewitnesses. It's from the apostles. So he's telling us why he wrote the gospel of Luke. Do we think this was a good idea? Writing down the gospel of Luke. Come on now. How many people has the gospel of Luke helped? Untold millions. And he's like, I just want to tell you, I'm going to tell you the story about Jesus, and I'm going to tell you how I'm writing it down. The eyewitnesses were there, and then here's why he wrote it. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely from time past, to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Did you see it? Why did he write it? Why did he do the things he did? Seem good. Can it, is it, can, it, can it be bigger than that? I heard a voice from heaven say, Luke, write this down. What is that? Is that you, Lord? Is that you, Lord, talking to me? No. Nope. Now, that's nice. And TV preachers like that stuff. I'm just saying. But this is better. It seemed good. Seems really good. I, I'm walking on the path. Oh, this seems like a good step. Hey, I'm married. It seems like a really good idea to love my wife. 
hey, I have kids. Seems like a really good idea to feed them. <laughs> Seems really good. Because good things happen from good choices. Ponder the path of your feet. It seems good. I need to do the next good thing in my life. Why? Because I'm going to the finish line. And I am living on purpose. I am thinking about what I'm doing with my steps. Pondering the path of my feet. Man, it seems really good to do this. As opposed to, I'm going this direction. They hurt me. I'm going this direction. I'm going to create a whole new path of my own anger and my own frustration with people. And see, we, we've all done that. But that's not pondering the path of your feet. That's just reacting. Has anyone reacted or overreacted in life? Come on now, we're in church. Let's tell the truth. We just react. And we're just going to create a whole new path. Was this a good idea? I don't care right now. I'm ticked. And my anger seems like a good enough reason just to walk another way. Scripture says, ponder the path of your feet. I want to do like Luke. Man, this seems like the really good next thing to do. Got to do all the known will of God. And this next thing, this seems like the next good choice based on all those other good things that I've already done from your word. And that's what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. Those who are led by the, the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. You are a child of God in here today. So our expectation is that God is leading us. He's showing us, listen, the next good thing. Ponder your path. Take a moment to consider your choices. What is the will of God for me? It is the next good thing. So what is that specifically, Pastor Brent? I don't know. You know. What do you mean, what, what do I know? You know because the Spirit of God is on the inside of you. <clears throat> See, when we're walking in something purposeful, sometimes it's so intangible. It, it's, it's a good thing, and then it's another good thing, and then it's another year of good things, and then it's another year after that of good things, and then it's another five years of that of good things. See, I, I've told you the story a bunch of times, but the building that we are sitting in has to do so much with my dad doing years of good things. And then another year of good things. And then another year of good things. And another year of faithfulness. And another year of good things. And then 10 years of good things. And then 15 years of good things. And then 20 years of good things. Here we are in a building that's paid for. How many know that's a good thing?
But year three, there's, there's no tangibility to it. There's no finish line in sight for 17 more years. But I would say that 17 more years of good things is better than 17 years of me doing my own thing. And it builds up on itself. Good thing and good thing and doing the will of God. I am all over the place this morning. All right, let's go back to my notes. We'll finish with this. So we're living with intentionality. But the last thing I want to talk about this morning is that when I'm living with intentionality, sometimes on that journey of intentionality, we get hit. We get blindsided. We get sideswiped by somebody who isn't. They're not living with intentionality. They're living with a don't care kind of attitude. They're not pondering the path of their feet. And then it affects you, even though it's something you didn't choose. You didn't choose it. But in the middle of your race, you found yourself in a pit of water. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And then maybe sometimes you contribute to it. Maybe, you know, you had a little detour of anger or bitterness or frustration. And then you kind of dug a ditch and then you like dived into it. What do we do on the path when something unintentional happens when I'm trying to live intentionally? There's a story here in the Old Testament about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. Now, you might not remember who Hagar is, but Abraham and Sarah were there where God had called them to. We know God had called them to be parents, but a bunch of years had gone by and they had not reached the finish line that God had promised. So they got a little bit impatient on the journey. Does anyone ever get impatient on the journey? And you're kind of thinking, you know, God, I started out doing this thing that you called me to do, but I actually, I haven't hit the finish line yet. And I feel like, it sh I feel like it should have happened by now. I, I'm going to, I'm going to work it out. I'm going to fix it for you, God. Uh, since, you know, you might be sleeping or something, you're busy with the famous preachers or are hearing you all the time. So maybe you, I'll just, I'll just do it. So Sarah had the idea since she hadn't had a baby yet. And guys, this isn't going to happen just so you know. She goes to Abraham and says, you know, maybe if you go with Hagar, my servant, and have a child, maybe this will be the thing God intends for us. This is a really bad idea. Now, in the context of multiple wives in this culture, you know, it, maybe it could have made sense somehow. But it's, it's, it's her getting impatient. And then it's Abraham being foolish. And then it's Hagar joining in the middle of the whole bad idea. This is like a really bad idea that had a lot of long-term bad effects. Like there's nothing good about this idea. But Abraham's like, I'm in. You know what I'm saying? It's just not a good thing. It's not a good idea. And this is what will happen to us sometime in the middle of us living intentionally, living on purpose, trying to do all we know to do. 
then this really big mistake happens. And somebody else made a stupid choice and then I kind of joined in. And then after Hagar had the baby, you know, just, you know, just not good relationship stuff, you know, women are staring at each other, not liking each other. It's just not a good family situation. Genesis 16 verse 6 says, Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. So Abraham, after he joined in with the mess, and Sarah is mad at him, he's like, okay, well, do whatever you want to do. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that beside the road of Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have, have you come from and where are you going? When the pain hits and the bitterness is there, the frustration is there, eventually we're gonna need to slow down and God is asking us this question, where, where, why are you doing this? And then what is the result of you continuing down this path? Where are you going? This whole thing is a mess. This is a mess. Everybody made bad choices. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. She answered, the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And then there's a prophecy about the difficulties to come because of the choices that they made. Verse 13, though, says this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. See, and this is what we need to stop and do. If something has got us off track, if someone has got us off track, where are you coming from and where are you going? In other words, God is trying to arrest the mess. See, a mess can happen based on the choices of people, but then God is wanting us to get back on the path of purpose. Hey, 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 why are you doing this? And then where will it take you? And then God redirects Hagar to a place where she can have some hope instead of just going off into the desert with her son alone. See, the, the ditch is not the destroyer of destinies. Hopelessness is. See, we're all going to find ourselves in a ditch, whether one we choose or someone, else's causes, someone else causes to fall in a ditch. But it's not the ditch on the steeple chase of life that destroys us getting to the finish line. It's feeling hopeless. It's feeling I'm, there's no way out of this situation. Somebody did this and, and I contributed a little bit to it and it's just a little bit of a mess and I've been trying to live intentional, but then this thing broadsided me. 
And what I would say to you this morning is that we all can run back to hope. That it isn't over until we get to the finish line of the season we are in. That God does to us like he did to, hey, 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 hold on, hold on. I know, I know, you're, I know you're hurt. I know you're upset. I know you're frustrated. But, but where, where is this taking you? I, I want to send you back in to hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 12 says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, God wants us to overflow with hope right in the middle of the detour. He wants to get us back on the path of purpose. He wants to get us out of the ditch. The ditch is designed to destroy your destiny. The ditch is designed for you not to get to the finish line, but God offers us hope, an eternal hope. That's not, I'm not gonna stay in this ditch. I have a joyful expectation about my future. That's what hope means. That he is giving me joy in the middle of this difficult situation and I can always hope in Jesus. Aren't you thankful for God's word this morning? Amen. Thank you for your support. If you want to connect with us, you can find us online at thecitychurch.ca.